Hello, I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School. This episode of the People, Planet, Profit podcast was recorded as part of a video series. In this theoretical integrated design forum, architects, engineers, material suppliers, builders and facility managers tell us things they wish the others knew about sustainable properties. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Pip, and uh, thanks for joining me for this conversation. Um, for those that don't know you, if you could give me a quick introduction of all things who you are and where you work. Sure. Uh, my name is Philippa Stone, but please, everyone knows me as Pip. Um, I am a sustainability manager at Bluescope. I have worked at Bluescope for about three years, a bit more than three years, and in the built environment and sustainability for about 15 um, and in my spare time, I sit on the board of directors for EPD Australasia. Excellent. And yes, it's nice to know that you have spare time. I know I, I joke <laughs> with people that I have spare time too <laughs> um, as we go all things through. So you're, thanks for being part of this series. So it's part of this series. We're talking to everybody along sort of the value chain associated with construction and sort of really looking at ways that um, the interrelatedness of how everyone can work with each other in order to make more sustainable outcomes for, um, for properties and for construction in general. So if you can kick things off for us, there's lots of few things that material suppliers wish that architects knew about sustainable properties. Sure. And architects is obviously a good one to start with for material supplier um, because um, a, key, a key area for architects is material selection. And what a minefield it is um, when it comes to information out there um, about the sustainability credentials of materials. Um, as we all know, greenwashing is rife um, and it's really great to see the increasing attention that, that it's getting from the ACCC and others. Um, but how can an architect tell if it's greenwashing or not? Um, well, there are many manufacturers who are investing in transparency, and that's through the production of environmental product declarations or EPDs, if you don't know that acronym. Um, th these are uh, documents that are based on life cycle assessment of a product um, and they're third party verified, which brings credibility to that document. So an EPD um, will tell you what the global warming potential or embodied carbon of a product is, making them pretty sought after um, uh, uh, certifications. Um, there are different types of EPDs, um, but a product-specific EPD, which is published in line with EN 15804, um, will give you the most accurate data for the product that you as an architect are specifying. Um, on top of EPDs, there are also a raft of eco-labels available for products. Um, in Bluescope's case, uh, a number of our products have global green tag green rate certification, um, and that's a third-party scheme which rates the sustainability performance of a product in line with that scheme's published criteria. So, so an EPD is kind of a transparent um, display of information, doesn't say whether something's good or bad, whereas an eco-label is kind of an um, endorsement of that product from a, from a sustainability perspective. Um, now, that's all good and well, but what we're trying to cut through um, is the greenwashing and, and not all third-party certifications are created equal. So as an architect, how do you know um, which ones are credible? 
Um, if I were an architect, I would look to tools like Greenstar, which has published a responsible products framework, um, and that ranks and scores product service certification schemes um, based on their criteria. If a um, manufacturer has a product that has an EPD and a green rate level A certification, then it will achieve maximum points in that framework. Um, if you wanted to take a broader view, you could also consider um, referring to rating tools like BPI rating, um, which takes a holistic approach to both product sustainability, but also corporate uh, sustainability, meaning it's not just the product credentials that are being evaluated, um, but also the credentials of the company that has produced it. Um, and this is important if you're interested in going beyond the basics of life cycle assessment, um, and environmental impacts and, and broadening your scope um, to issues such as uh, social sustainability in particular. Um, I have one more thought for architects, which really applies um, to others in the value chain, but I think um, is particularly relevant for architects. Um, and, and I'm sure this is, this is something that, that others in the value chain will be touching on, and that's to consider a building's whole of life. Um, you know, we should be aiming to keep buildings in use for as long as possible. Um, and when they've reached the end of their useful lives, to treat the buildings like material banks, um, supporting the construction of the next building. Um, and to, to enable that kind of circular thinking, you need materials that are strong, durable, resilient, um, and support design flexibility for changing needs over times. Um, if we use light gauge steel as an example, um, as a steel uh, manufacturer, um, the fact that connections can be bolted means that a steel frame building can theoretically be constructed, deconstructed and reconstructed again and again. Um, I, I recently saw a really good case study of a um, COVID surge centre in the ACT. Um, it was built by Mantina for Aspen Medical. It was designed in seven days um, and constructed in 36 days um, as a 51-bed medical facility uh, for the ACT and surrounding areas um, to serve that area uh, to serve those areas during COVID peaks um, next to on an oval next to um, Canberra Hospital. So the brief required that the design was flexible, um, that it would allow hospital live loads, withstand high wind loads could be reusable and then what's really interesting could be packed in a shipping container at the end of its use um, as well as being designed to, Austra to Australian standards um, and that's exactly what that project achieved and it's a really uh, great example of a, of a circular outcome um, with a building that's now ready to go flat packed in its container and, and to be reassembled for its next use. That's an awesome sort of story in, in, in sort of a really practical application. Um, and I think that we saw a lot of uh, innovation and walking the talk during the COVID pandemic of, you know, we need to do these things quickly, efficiently, and then, but, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a time when it could have just done the whole quickly get what you've always done, done. Um, but then realising that, well, hang on, we could need a pop-up hospital anywhere. So why not make it? Um, available to be moved around where the demand arises um, and then when that demand goes we can 
it back in a container and take it to the next one that, as well. That's exactly right. And it wasn't it wasn't originally in the design brief, I don't think. They just really, they wanted something quickly. Um, it was done on a handshake, um, you know, just as everyone was getting um, pretty concerned. Um, it, it's, it's a fabulous story, really fabulous story. I, I hope that they sanitised after the handshake because I think it should have been an elbow <laughs> at that point. Like... <laughs> Indeed, it was probably an elbow, not, not a handshake. <laughs> All right, so let's move a little bit further down the chain. So we've got a design in place. What about engineering? So what are things that material suppliers wish that engineers knew about sustainable properties? Sure. Um, first off, I would say, um, you know, as engineers, as engineers generally do, um, but, but to keep an open mind about materials um, to begin with and, and to, of course, focus on the design and design optimization to begin with. Um, for structure, you, you know, you want to think about how you can achieve more with less. So, for example, um, with a steel building, if the design is governed by strength, you may be able to dematerialize using a high strength steel. Um, and if you're trying to achieve a lower embodied carbon outcome, um, then there could be a, a key saving there. Um, alongside that, I would say remember that material supply, suppliers are here. Um, and we're here and very keen to help. So come to us with your challenges um, and we can collaborate with you on what the optimum uh, solution is for your project. Um, for the ESD engineers who are listening in, um, we'll also be able to adv advise how our products can help to achieve um, your project or projects generally to achieve ratings such as Green Star, the Living Building Challenge and IS rating. Please do ask us um, because we love to share that information with you. Um, a couple of other quick things for engineers. Um, if you're using tools like BIM, you can integrate EPD information into your model to help assess the environmental impact of the design. Um, and nothing makes a material supplier happier than seeing their EPD in use. Um, and then finally, um, as, a, as engineers, um, you know, steel is pretty key in your role. Um, so I, I wanted to get in a quick plug for responsible steel certification as something that engineers could be looking out for. Um, so, so look out for suppliers who have achieved certification to the responsible steel international standard. This means that they have demonstrated compliance with the 13 ESG principles in the standard, and that includes things like climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity, human rights um, and labour rights. Um, when it comes to steel and knowing what good looks like, that's often a question we get from engineers, from architects, from others. Um, you know, this is the gold standard of what, what good looks like for, for steel and sustainability. That's a good plug. Um, and I suppose, full disclosure, I'm a director of Responsible Steel, so I wholeheartedly agree with those sentiments. <laughs> and knowing whether sort of that standard has been put together from a, 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 concept, a holistic ESG perspective and ensuring that um, you focus on a lot of things. I think it's really easy for people to look at EPDs and sort of take that global warming potential number and sort of forget about all the other environmental, let alone all the other environmental and social and governance factors um, that can take into, into, into account when um, you're manufacturing things. And um, from someone who works in sustainability with people, that's like everybody knows as soon as you focus on one metric at the expense of all others, you will see um, problems arising in all those other areas. And we've seen it a lot in history when you focus just on price, you get bad environmental, social 
um, and governance outcomes. Um, you know, you've seen what happens when you focus on price with things completely social like modern slavery. You're like, yes, when you don't pay for labour, it's really cheap to make things. Um, and yet then you've got the, the cost that you're paying is um, is borne by others in that chain, usually the people who are enslaved in that process. So I think that using those holistic global measures um, in order to sort of take take stock of all materials, not just steel, but actually looking at those similar metrics for other materials, take a broader viewpoint that just one metric is a good way to get through things. But this is not about me talking. Um, and you and I could both talk about responsible steel for hours, so we won't do that. Um, but then let's sort of step onto the next bit. And um, and I will not put words into your mouth, but I could probably guess a few things that are going to come next in that what, what are some things that material suppliers wish that builders knew about sustainable? Sure. Um, so for a material supplier, when it comes to builders, procurement is obviously um, one of the key issues. Um, and look, many manufacturers invest significant resources in transparently communicating um, the sustainability performance of a product and to improving that performance. It's not just about transparency, of course, it's actually doing something about um, what you do with that information. Um you know, we collaborate with design teams to optimise de uh, designs. We produce EPDs, we obtain eco-labels, um, we engage with and contribute to local communities um, only to be substituted when it comes to the final decision-making, which often boils down to cost. It's as, it's as though you provided that segue perfectly um, for me, Hayley. Um, and in a whole-of-life context, low-cost materials may not necessarily have the circular attributes that, that we hope project teams are looking for, such as durability and longevity, um, not to mention the credible third-party verified transparent information that you find in an EPD, for example. Um, on the topic of EPDs, um, you know, material suppliers would also love builders and others to understand just how resource intensive it is to produce an EPD. Um, in Bluescope's case, we are currently updating our LCA model, um, which underpins our EPD, so LCA's lifecycle assessment. Um, it has been uh, 12 months and counting, probably well over 12 months, that we have been collecting and modelling our LCA data. Um, we have a full-time resource managing that process. We have significant input from our operations teams who are providing us with the data. Um, then we have an LCA consultant who's taking all of that data and doing the modelling for us. Um, and then it's sent on to a third-party verifier. Um, so you can see it's a pretty uh, significant undertaking um, uh, all to provide our stakeholders with transparent, accurate information. Um, as well as ourselves, as I said, so we can act on that, the, the, the outputs that we get from that LCA. Um, it's really important to note that this data is specific to our operations. It isn't representative of any other similar product, um, so it can't be used to represent another similar product because they will have a different um, process associated with their manufacture. Um, on the subject of EPDs, and a lovely um, segue from your point also, Hayley, um, we would love to see project teams going beyond single metrics like carbon um, or, or whatever the metric is that they choose. You don't get holistic outcomes from focusing on a single, on a single metric. 
Um, so, you know, for example, if you're in a water scarce region, then you might want to consider embedded water in a material. Um, taking that a step further, it would be great to see um, more builders procuring from companies that align with their published company values and sustainability targets. Um, companies that can help them, for example, to minimise ESG risk in their supply chains um, through a comprehensive approach to supply chain sustainability and, and, modern, slave, and modern slavery. So, um, you know, to summarise that into two quick takeaways for builders, um, think before you substitute and think um, holistically when it comes to sustainability. I think they're two really important points for and you could almost sort of think that most of the way along the along the channel of just yeah. um, thinking beyond the one measure um, and usually that focus is going to cause you a drama in whatever you you know ignorance is bliss until you become you know enlightened as to what you're being ignorant of and then you realize that it's just caused yourself a bigger drama than what you think you've solved by honing in your focus so mm-hmm. no one said sustainability was meant to be easy um if there was a one silver bullet that you could shoot and solve everything then everyone would have done it already um and it does require just that consciousness of thought and that holistic thinking so then i'm going to take you sort of that step down the channel so we've designed the building we've had it engineered um the builders have built it and now it's being handed over so either it's being handed over to a, an owner of a house or typically let's talk in a more sort of that commercial or residential sense like in an apartment complex or a um, industrial complex and there's a, a stack of facility managers or property services companies that then sort of go in to manage that so from a material supplier point of view what tips do you have for facility managers um, about sustainable properties sure well i think um facility managers are in a situation where they are largely managing the consequences of decisions that have been made by others earlier in the value chain. Um, so first of all, they will they will reap the benefits of materials which are easy and inexpensive to maintain. Um, and they can draw on the technical information produced by manufacturers on issues like um, maintenance to make sure that they do stay in life, uh, stay in use for as long as possible. Um, in terms of carbon, the focus of an FM will be on operational performance. Um, and they could find themselves in a situation where the focus on embodied carbon in the design and construction phase of the building has been done. Um, without consideration perhaps of the operational impact. And we're seeing that, um, you know, we've had a fantastic focus on operational outcomes um, for a really long time. And now we're seeing the focus shift to embodied carbon, which is also um, equally important. Um, you know, the point I'd make and, and many others will make is that, of course, you have to look at both of those in isolation. Um, certainly, um, we need to do everything we can for embodied carbon now, um, but not without considering any um, kind of follow-on impacts for operational carbon um, that the facilities manager will be will be left to to deal with, um, and and so with that I think it's kind of you know full circle um, you know talking about holistic sustainability um, and that's probably the the key takeaway from me is to to consider um, the building across its life cycle. Um, and with holistic sustainability in mind, so across all those broader indicators also. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like I said, I, it, holistic is one that fits every part of that that spectrum um, as you go through. Um, but we are starting to see that shift of, you know, in terms of that time frame. Right? If you focus everything up front, either making it cheaper up front, um, reduce carbon up front, reduce water up front, whatever it happens to be, if you're focusing purely on that design and as-built phase of, of construction and you're not considering um, the operational impacts, you're going to obviously have measures that sort of play into that sense. Um, that can have negative impacts later on in life uh, through the life of the building and the life of that construction aspect and maintenance. But I think the one point you did touch on that I think is really key is for everybody out there who's in facility management land, um, go to the manufacturer's website in order to get some maintenance tips. So I think most people sort of forget that it's not just around going to them when they they need their next upgrade or they need to fix something. But in terms of going and getting that information on how to maintain a, a material in the best way possible, um, that information is also available. And I think that um, uh, the facilities management gain, there's, um, you know, they are sometimes vexed with not being given perfect information on handover of a building. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not to say that the information is not available. So it might be a, a great thing to be able to reach out and say, how do we do this? How do we maintain it? Um, and then have more than then, how do we replace it, um, fix it? Um, as when it comes to those sort of aspects as well. Yeah, yep. and as you say, like, you know, we have loads of information available online and lots of people um, on the other end of the phone. So um, so do, I, I guess that's another, you know, if I were going to leave um, the audience with one piece of information, come and talk to us, um, you know, that we'd love to collaborate on how we can make your building the best building that it can be or, or project, not necessarily building. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining me um, as part of this series and chat. Um, Pip, it's been wonderful to have you and from the from the perspective of a material supplier in this space um, around some bits of knowledge as we go through. I think one thing that's going to be key through this series is that, that collaborative, integrated um, process around just getting everyone to talk to each other and understanding and, um, sorry, more than understanding is just sort of valuing the diversity of thoughts that comes into these that can problem solve earlier the better. Um, And if you have a problem, just don't be afraid to pick up the phone and and talk to people through that supply chain as well. So thank you very much for being part of the series um, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Hayley. Cheers.